0: So if you would take out your Bibles and turn to Malachi, we're continuing our study. And so we're looking at Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12 this morning. We all are aware of change, and many of you know the that great theological book, Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. So we had a little bit of the Zacchaeus singing, and then. Um, Sam, I am. Remember Sam, I am? He's trying to get his unnamed friend to try the green eggs and ham, and he tries to get him in all these different places. And ultimately, he just says, Please try it. And then he says, Well, I like it. And so there's this big change of heart. There's a change of mind. We're used to that in our world. We have seen in our lifetime the changing of Pluto being a planet to now being a non planet. We've seen personal choices have been changed that affect maybe ourselves and those around us, but we've also been a part of policy choices and changes that have happened that have affect all of us. And so part of this is to understand that people fluctuate in their affection and their devotion to God. But what this passage is trying to teach us is that God has not changed. And because God has not changed, he is our sure foundation. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? so "I will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's very simple. Lord, speak through me. Lord, speak to us. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this passage, even though this has been used many times about robbing God, and this is a time that a lot of uh, pastors or churches beat up their people about, you need to give more, that's not the purpose of this passage. It is part of the passage. We can't just discount that, but the part of the passage that needs to be the most telling to us is that God is unchanging, And so when we talk about God being unchanging, it's a word that we have theologically that's called the immutability of God. And that's our big theological word for us to talk about the unchanging. So God is unchanging and he is unchangeable. He is to never to change. So we see in this passage, for I, the Lord, do not change. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is unchangeable. And we have this doctrine because it is very necessary. It's necessary for his perfection. And all of his attributes, every other attribute is made into this one. Because if God is changing, then all the attributes don't matter and so him being unchangeable and unchanging it should bring to us security security in knowing that our God is the one who is faithful to all things he always fulfills his promises he never forsakes us it should also give us security in our own situations listen to what Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. These are his plans for his people. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is always fulfilling his promises to us. Even in the midst of hard things, we can rejoice and know that God is fulfilling his promises. Remember the story of Joseph with his brothers, Genesis 50, verse 20. What does he say to them? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. So even in situations where we find ourselves saying, I don't enjoy this. I don't like this. Joseph didn't like being um, having his name... Uh, dragged through the mud he didn't like having to go to jail he didn't like being left in jail but yet god created within him the opportunity for him to fall upon his knees and to become a a man of humbleness who looked to the lord because remember again when he has his coat of many colors remember he's he's arrogant he's arrogant to his brothers and he says you know what i had this great dream and you know what all of you guys are going to bow down to me I'm the youngest, your guys are the oldest, dad loves me more. I'm going to be the one who rules over top of you. But God humbles him through the process. And as he humbles him, he gets him to the point where that is fulfilled. But it's fulfilled with him having tears in his eyes. What you what you thought was so evil and wanted to hurt me. God meant for good to save you and to our, all of our offspring. That's what God's trying to tell all of us. No matter the situations we find ourselves, he is always faithful. He's always good. Now, what he does in this passage, if you see this, he talks to them and he says, "O children of Jacob. Now, again, this is a switch. Because remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So when he comes there and he starts to change this this description, he doesn't say, Oh, children of Israel. He says, Oh, children of Jacob. And he says, because he doesn't change, they're not consumed. So it, it is a form of him coming and saying, What you have done has not been good. And so you are like your forefathers because God is faithful to his word. We're the ones who are not faithful. And because God is faithful, we're not concerned. Even when we deserve judgment, they deserved God's judgment at this point. And yet God is over and over and over again giving them mercy and grace. He says, remember that I have loved you with an everlasting love. Remember that I give to you. If all you have to do is run back to me and I will come back to you. And he's giving this over and over and over because God remembers his promises even in the midst of our sin. Because we're the ones who are unfaithful. We're the ones who chase after things. Remember, when he talks about Jacob, that's not a good thing. Jacob is a supplanter. He's a liar. He's someone who's a cheat and he tried to do everything to receive the blessings that God said, I will give this to you, but we become impatient. And so when we become impatient, we said, well, God, we're going to take the blessings that, you've, that you said you're going to give to us, but we're going to do it in our own timing. The Scripture's full of that. Remember? Abraham and Sarah? Now, I get this. When you wait for a promise of God for 20 years to be fulfilled, that's a long time. But we started thinking, well, maybe God's not going to come through for me. Maybe God's promises aren't true for me. So what I need to do is I need to help God out a little bit here. So I need to give him a little push. I need need to kind of figure the situation so that God, I'll give you some credit, but there's still some on me too. And so we begin to to push this where we want to get his blessings Because we are the ones who want to use worldly ways to do it. And that's exactly where the people are. They've gone from Israel to Jacob. They're trying to cheat and supplant. They're trying to steal from God himself. And they're trying to do it within their own power. And so in the midst of this point, in verse 6, then he transitions to verse 7, and listen to this. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. But he says this, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So even in the midst of their sin, of them robbing God, of them going out and choosing to marry um, people who are not of the faith, they're divorcing people um, illegally, they're going out and doing all these things, and then they have the audacity um, to kind of come back and, and say to God, I, don't, I think the problem is with you, God. And God responds with this. He responds as a forgiving God. He says, even from the times of your forefathers, you haven't listened to me. You haven't obeyed me. But I am telling you clearly, if you would repent... If you would repent and come back to me. now I think we always have to understand repentance because repentance means that there is a change, an actual change. And it's a change of not just mind, because again, we can change our minds and not have any kind of change in our actions. It has to be both a change of mind and actions. There has to be a complete change of orientation, which involves our judgment upon the past, a deliberate redirection for the future. So it's about face, it's kind of in those terms, in military terms. It's doing an about face. I'm going one direction, I need to be going the other way. And so I need to do an about face. And there's a process for repentance in the scripture. The process is this one, we have to be aware of our guilt and sin, not everybody else's. That's easy. And don't get general with things like, well, I, well, of course I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. Name your sin. Name it. not to beat you down, but so that you understand that you are the one who's guilty. You and I are the ones who sent Jesus to the cross. It's not just them back then. it's I, it's you. And so we need to be aware of our guilt and our sin. But when we find that out, then we have to make sure we get to point two in the process. We have to take a hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. The cross needs to get bigger in all of our lives. Because the more that we grow in Christ, the more we realize how sinful we are. I had to go back and apologize to my wife and my son uh, yesterday. We went to a movie, and it was a movie that we shouldn't have gone to. And I should have just said right from the beginning, We're not going to this movie. Instead of having to walk out. And then I was like, You guys should have picked a better movie. I'm the head of the house. I'm the one who should have never put us in a position to have to walk out of a movie. It's my sin. And so I'm the one who needs to to repent, but I also need to understand that even in the midst of that, even pastors find mercy and grace. And so we need to take hold of the God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Then that brings about a change of attitude and a change of actions. There's a change of attitude. There's a change of I submit myself. God, I want what you want more than myself i'll wait on you and your timing because what that then finishes in the process is a pursuit of holy living we want to give god the glory by the way that we live our lives because we want him to know that he is loved that he is respected that he is appreciated and so we pursue righteousness like that of jesus christ and as we repent that way, then what we find ourselves is in the process of forgiveness. See, we all deserve death. It doesn't matter. Again, there are some, some people in here I go, well, you know, God did a good thing choosing them. They were pretty nice. And I think we can say that until we really get to know them. Then we find out that even those nice people deserve death. Death. Because they're mean, they're nasty, they're selfish, just like me. It's why God says to us in Romans six twenty three, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Free gift. Ephesians one seven says this: "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace." Christ died and he endured hell upon the cross so that we would never taste hell. So we would never taste it. And not only that we would not taste hell, but he gives to us life. He gives to us mercy and grace. It's a a clean slate that we see we're pardoned. There's a canceling of debt, but that's just not enough. It's not just that He paid for our sins, He gives to us His righteousness, His perfection, so that we might stand before God. Listen, Archie Sproul said this, and I think it's a great quote I am a gift from the Father to the Son. Do you think of yourself as that? Do you think of yourself as a gift? Or is Satan so beat you up that he says, You're you're not worthy. You're you're if you're a gift, you're a broken gift. You need to be returned. But the Father comes and he says, I give to my son this gift, and they become your brothers and your sisters, my sons and daughters forever. What an incredible, incredible thing that God, even in the midst of our sinfulness, comes to us and says, I love you because I love you because I love you. So God's not just an unchanging God. He's not just a forgiving God. He's also a generous God. Now he does in verses eight through 12 talk about sin. And he talks about something very specifically in regards to um, robbing God. And when the people respond, it's not, it's not a, God, how did we rob you? We want to know. We want to fix things. It's like, what in the world? How did we rob you? Come on, God, you tell us. And God, remember from the beginning of this book, he said to them, hey, you've stolen sacrifices. You've brought maimed sacrifices. You've done anything that you could to get away with actually giving something that mattered to you. You've given me the leftovers. You've given me the seconds. You've given me, you have robbed me after robbing me after robbing me. Now, see what he's doing is he's talking about our besetting sins. Because listen, we return to God and he reveals our hearts. Talk is cheap. We can all talk a great game. But God says, I look at the heart, I look at the actions. And so what he does, he says, yes, you've been robbing me. You've been taking the tithes and the offering. And all I have to do is to go and look at your bank account and tell you where your heart is. It will be very clear to me and to everyone else what's the most important thing in your life. And God's saying that to us because, again, we start to think that we're the owners of our bank account, not the stewards of our bank account. But God doesn't just leave us there. Listen, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5. And as we go to Matthew chapter 5, listen, this is after the Beatitudes. But Jesus starts to, to say these kind of things to the to the disciples and those who came after him. You've heard that it was said of those in old, verse 21, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. You've heard it said. He goes over and over and over and over in all of our different areas. Why? Because he's looking at our heart. Listen, our thoughts reveal our heart. And so he's saying our time, our talents, our treasures would be very, very specific. It will show forth where we are. And so he says, listen to this too. Um, our understanding of grace and mercy and that understanding far surpasses that of law. W- what do I mean by that? If it's easy for me to come in here and say, you need to give 10%. That's easy. And I can guilt you over that. Hey, if you love Jesus, you would give 10%. I know in the Old Testament, they gave 23%. You know what the national average is? 2.9%. So I can come in here and I can guilt you saying, hey, you're not giving 10%. So what do you do? Well, then you write a check that makes up the 10%, right? I check, I check a box. I paid my 10%, I'm good. Now, if I come in here and say, okay, now give in response to the mercy and grace that Christ has died for you. Now, how much do you give? Well, pastor, that's not fair. I get into. I can write the check. I can check the box. I'm good. What if God tells you you're supposed to give 90% of your salary to the church? Whoa, Pastor. That's not what the Bible says. I'm not asking what the Bible says. I'm saying, what is God speaking to your heart? Well, now you're meddling. I don't know what God's talking to your heart. But see, grace and mercy puts us in a place that's uncomfortable a lot of times. It's what happens, it's what Mickey read for us about Zacchaeus because the chapter ahead in Luke 18 is where he deals with a rich young ruler. You think that's by chance? He deals with a rich young ruler and the rich young ruler comes and says, hey, what do I need to do to earn heaven? He says, well, it's easy. Just take care of all the Ten Commandments. Well, that I've done. I'm self-righteous. I'm good. And Jesus says, well, then there's one more thing. Just give away your wealth and come follow me. But I'm rich. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. How does Zacchaeus respond to Jesus Christ? Before he even mentions, he says, I have robbed people and I will give back fourfold. And Jesus says, Salvation has come to this house. So it's a hard issue. And when our hearts get right with God, then there is restoration. There is restoration, which means we don't go into negotiations. There are to be no other gods or idols in our lives. We're not supposed to be giving God our seconds or trying to negotiate. We're supposed to obey and trust in him. And that's the second thing, right? Do we trust God? Do we really trust that he's unchangeable? Do we really trust that he's good, that he is there for us, that he's there to take care of us? And again, he gives us what we need, not always what we want. And I think that's hard for us in America, because I would venture to say that all of us in here, all of us in here have our needs met. I think we get ticked off when our wants aren't met. And God says, I have come in and I've given to you. And then he makes, this is the only place where God makes a promise about this test me. God nowhere else in Scripture says test him on something. He comes to this portion of Scripture in regards to this passage and says, here's what I'm telling you. tests me if I would not open up the heavens for you. Now again, it's our tendency to think, oh, it's the get rich gospel. If I give to him, then he owes me back. That's not what this means at all. You know what this looks forward to, this part of the passage? It looks forward to Jesus Christ. And if you don't think that God has not given to us richly, then you don't understand the gospel because Jesus is the most costly gift that could ever be given. Jesus humbles himself. He comes to to here on earth as a man. He lives a perfect life. He gives a death he didn't deserve to give us a righteousness we could never earn. And he looks at us and he says, and I love you. And I care for you. And even to this day, listen, he is in heaven interceding on your behalf to the Father. There's many times I think I'm a good pastor. But I don't see it for you guys all the time. I do when you're sick. I do when you ask me to pray for things. But there are many times, there's always one more prayer, always one more phone call, always one more text that I could do. But the one who never fails you, he's the Savior. And Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you to the ends of the earth. No matter where you're at, no matter the struggles you find yourself, he never disappoints. God is unchangeable. Run to him, not from him. And watch him open the floodgates of mercy and grace fresh and new once again. That's what's set before us. Come to the table and taste and see that God is good. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Again, our prayer was simple. May your words be spoken, but may we have heard your words and allow them to make deep roots into our hearts and into our minds so we never, ever stray or believe the lies of Satan that you have changed your mind. You are faithful and true, and to you we run To you we trust. To you we rest in your love. For we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.